Hi, it's me, Dr. J, with Behavior, Health, and Wellness. Today is Wellness Wednesday, and it is October the 28th. It is a wet day here in Louisiana. We are on the lookout for Tropical Storm Zeta. But in the meantime, I was able to um, catch up with some of my Facebook friends and provide a an interview from a representative of the Louisiana Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Yes, I wanted to provide some information and actually just to sit down and have a discussion because I don't know about you, but I know that lately, especially since COVID, I have noticed that the news reports are increasing as it relates to domestic violence and to my surprise to see that Louisiana is ranked number four that's right number four in the nation for domestic violence cases so I wanted to use my platform to begin a discussion and I hope that in some way it has been helpful especially to the people who are able to tune in to the live But right now, let's just listen to some of the interview with Executive Director Mariah Wineski of the Louisiana Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Hi, and thank you for joining me for another segment of Behavioral Health and Wellness. I'm Dr. J. Today, I have a very special guest here with me. Um, Right now, I know that we talk a lot about October and breast cancer awareness, and that is very important. Um, But it's also Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I wanted to bring someone who could share some information um, and let us know what we can do to try to bring the numbers down, because since COVID has started, the numbers have really increased relative to domestic violence. So it is a pleasure to have Miss Mariah Waleski in the talking with me virtually. Thank you for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. Good. So I, I want you to let us know where you're from. And um, as I said, I know that it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Tell us a little bit about what you your organization does. Sure, so my name is Mariah Wineski. I'm the executive director of the Louisiana Coalition Against Domestic Violence and um, LCADV for short. So what we do is we are the statewide network of the 16 domestic violence advocacy and shelter organizations all across the state. Um, So we at LCADV at our office, we provide training and public awareness and technical assistance. Um, We do a lot of policy work. So you'll see us at the legislature working to get laws passed um, regarding domestic violence that are in the best interests of domestic violence survivors. And then we also partner with the state on the quality assurance process for domestic violence uh, shelters in the state. So, you know, if you wanna be a shelter, you need to meet certain standards and we help ensure that they're meeting those standards. Um, So our member, programs, those 16 shelter organizations, they provide all kinds of direct services to survivors of domestic violence. Um, Everything from shelter services to housing assistance to assistance with restraining orders and uh, legal representation when they're able to. 
Um, they also have children's programming and support groups and any, any number of services that a survivor might need. Um, and every year, those 16 programs provide services to over 50,000 people in Louisiana alone. So we certainly have a very big domestic violence problem in our state, which is why I'm really glad to have the opportunity to come here and talk with you all today. Thank you so much. And I, I'm a doctor of behavior health, and I'm also a licensed master social worker. So we have noticed an increase in the amount of cases that involve domestic violence. Also, even the news, we, we can actually see that things are actually spiking. Can you tell us about some of the, um, one, I want to know about programs that you all have had to postpone due to COVID, and also just tell us how the numbers are coming in on your end. What are you seeing? Sure. So, you know, unfortunately, this, this COVID-19 pandemic has had a huge impact on everybody's life. Right. Um, and, and the impact has been overwhelmingly negative. <laughs> it's been a very difficult experience for everybody. Um, and the same is true for domestic violence survivors, of course, and for the organizations that serve them. So one of the main difficulties that the shelter programs um, and our organization have faced is that, you know, we've been unable to gather together, which has made uh, fundraising events very difficult, and it's made our typical Domestic Violence Awareness Month events um, difficult to, to proceed with. So a lot of events this year have unfortunately been, been canceled or postponed until next year, um, but there are still you know some that are able to do virtual domestic violence vigils um, to honor you know, people who have not survived or who've been killed to, due to domestic violence. Um, so they've been able to have some of those, but it, it definitely is a different, a different domestic violence awareness month than what we are used to. Right. Um, and, and, you know, COVID has had a huge impact, um, not only on just the organizational side, but an impact on domestic violence survivors as well. You know, the, one of the main components of domestic violence is isolation. Right, and abusers use isolation and they intentionally isolate their victims from their support networks. And COVID has, has isolated everybody from one another right. and really increased that sense of isolation. And so it's been even more difficult for domestic violence survivors to get the help that they need, to get the support from loved ones that they need. Um, and, and you know, that access to us to a support network is so important uh, for maintaining safety and for overcoming and healing from an abusive relationship. And that's just been, it, it's been hindered. It's been impossible to, not impossible, but very, very difficult to um, get, get those connections, you know? Well, you know, I, I, while you were talking, I, I'm just thinking about some of the accounts that I can, I can recall. We are finding that some in some cases, the numbers or the um, intimate partner violence is increasing due to the fact that before COVID or the pandemic, people were, we steadily were moving. But now I have heard so many accounts that people have been married for 15, 20 years and have not really spent a lot of time around each other due to obligations with work or um, other other obligations outside of the home. So right now people are, are home and they're inside and it's really causing 
I mean, differences because I mean, <laughs> to be around somebody for maybe a day off or two days off and then you seeing all day, every day, that's a big change. So, I mean, is there anything that we can do to, to kind of encourage, I guess, more better ways to communicate or something that can actually reduce the incidents? Yeah, I mean, what's one thing that, uh, you know, that, that I would always encourage is, and I want to make clear, is that these advocacy organizations across the state, they never shut down. They are open 24-7, and they have been open 24-7 all through this. Even in March, when everything, you know, when everybody was, was on lockdown, they were still open. Um, so they remain open, and so that support is always available. Um, and I would encourage you know anybody who is experiencing domestic violence um, to, to reach out and, and try to get help. Now we have a statewide hotline number um, for domestic violence, and so I, I will share that number um, so that folks have it. Uh, that number is 1-888-411-1333. And that number will route you to your local domestic violence organization. So when you call that number, it's gonna be answered by somebody in your community who can provide you with resources and, and assistance. But yeah, the, the, the being so close in, right. cl in close quarters has been very stressful on every relationship. It's been stressful on, on families in general, but when you have these abusive dynamics, um, it's, it's led to some very dangerous situations for victims who are unable to escape. Definitely, and also I was I looked at the the national registry, and I, what I found is that every 20 minutes um, it's being reported that someone is involved in intimate partner violence. How can I mean? Sometimes you are in an abusive relationship and you don't know. I mean, and and when you hear that, it it sounds like how could you not know but things are, are really subtle can you give us some of the warning signs that you may be in an abusive relationship absolutely and and you know that's part of what makes domestic violence awareness month so important because it's not that people have never heard of domestic violence right we're not we're not making them aware of the word but what we find is that it's a, it's a concept that is very poorly understood. Right. So a lot of folks, when they think about domestic violence, they have this conception in their mind that it is black eyes and broken bones. And if he didn't put you in the hospital, then it's not abuse, right? Um, and so we only ever truly think of the physical abuse when really domestic violence is so much more than that. The physical abuse is certainly a component of it, um, and unfortunately, a lot of times you know, it can lead to a domestic homicide, which we have a very high rate of in Louisiana. Um, but it doesn't start as a homicide, right? It typically starts very small and it escalates over time. And right. it's so subtle. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of times, you know, I think that we just need to be more aware of the non-physical aspects of it because many times by the time it becomes physically violent, it is very difficult and, and sometimes unsafe for a victim to leave that relationship. Um, so if we can gain a better awareness of the early warning signs, then we're gonna be able to, to intervene a lot earlier, right? So the things you wanna be looking for that are, you know, we typically call them red flags. Um, 
But the things you want to be looking for is, you know, excessive jealousy, extreme jealousy, and the sense of ownership over the other partner. Right. Really controlling attitudes. Um, so if your partner is very controlling of who you speak to or what you do or what you can and cannot wear, uh, those are types of things that, that should be very concerning to you. Um, you want to you wanna also watch for attempts to isolate you from your friends or your family. And those can be so very subtle that it's hard to tell. And a lot of times when you're in a new relationship, you, you want to spend a lot of time together anyway. So he says, oh, no, don't go to your families for, for the holidays. Come spend them with me. And you think that's cute and you think it's romantic, right? Right. And then two years down the road, you realize that what he's been doing is driving a wedge between you and your family. Wow. So that when he does become physically violent, you no longer have those close family relationships that you can get support and help from. Well, so it's well, a, it, And also tell me, what part does alcohol play in the um, increase in the numbers? Because right now, I mean, people are jokingly saying I'm, I'm drinking because of COVID, but I, I do understand that people are in are having more alcohol, the intake is increased. How does that play a part also? A lot of times alcohol can escalate an existing situation, right? So alcohol lowers your inhibitions. Um, it can lead to, to more fights. I do wanna be clear that you know alcohol doesn't cause abuse. There are lots of people who drink and don't abuse their partner, right? Um, and in fact, the vast majority of people who drink, even when they get very drunk, don't become abusive to their partners. So it, it, but what it does is first of all, it provides the abuser with an excuse. So they, they drink a lot in excess and then they become abusive. And then when they sober up, they blame it on the alcohol. Right. And she, so she thinks, okay, well, if I can just fix the alcohol, if we can just fix his alcohol problem, then maybe the abuse will stop, right? But many times the abuse was there for, it, it's always been there. It's been there from the get-go and the alcohol has exacerbated the abuse, but it didn't cause it in the first place. But so we do see a lot more, you know, we've seen an increase um, in the severity of abuse that we're seeing, in the frequency of the abuse that we're seeing. And I think that there are a lot of things that go into it with, with COVID. Um, you know, the increase in isolation, the increased drinking, the, the lack of community support, right. um, the, a, a lot of our systems, um, like our criminal justice system and our civil legal system, they've had kind of a patchwork response. So if you remember back in the spring, um, with the stay at home orders, the courtrooms closed, right? right? Courts were closed. And right. so they were hearing protective order you know, they were having protective order hearings on an emergency basis, but when those were occurring, whether they were occurring, how they were occurring was different in every single courtroom across the state. Wow. And so that caused a lot of confusion for, for somebody who maybe needed a restraining order or needed some type of legal protection and wasn't sure during that time whether it was even available or how to access it. So there's been a lot of confusion and, and when your systems like that break down, then it makes it very hard for victims to find safety when they need it. One in four females, one in nine males involved with intimate partner violence. Tell me how the intimate partner violence 
COVID and the kids home all the time. Give 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 me some insight as to how you all are. I guess addressing the fact because I know that the the violence has has increased, but sometimes you can mask it from the kids, but now they're always home. How is that for your office right now? Yeah, we do see, unfortunately, a, a huge number of children who are exposed to domestic violence every year. And that happens, you know, consistently. And now with COVID and, and kids not going to school, um, a lot of times if they're doing the virtual school or when, you know, in the spring when they weren't going to school, um, then the abuse that would happen at home while they were at school was now happening at home while they're at home. Right. And so they have they've had this increase in exposure to that abuse and it's it's unfortunate because it does have long lasting effects on the kids who are exposed to it. Um, and you know it, it it can affect them in a lot of different ways and it depends on a lot of other things in their in their life, you know, the extent of the effect that it has on them, but it's it's very traumatic for a kid to be exposed to that. Um, and a lot of times the children can unfortunately be become part of that abuse right they can experience the abuse themselves um they can they can become victims of that abuse as well so it's been um it's been difficult you know but we we have had our organizations um all across the state you know they have remained open and they have they, they have um shelter space available um for victims and their children Right. Um, so you can always bring your children if you need to escape and you need to find safe shelter. Um, you can always bring your children with you. Uh, they also have a lot of children's programming, you know, support groups specific for children, some play therapy and things like that to kind of help the kids recover from the trauma. Another huge misconception is that when you find yourself um, experiencing intimate partner violence, people tend to think that the police or who they need to call and police are reactive they're not proactive and most of the time when you find when you actually admit or you understand that you're um, experiencing int intimate partner violence it's at the end what can how can people understand or know who to call prior to because when the police come, the police come to make an arrest. That's what they do. That's their job. And then it is it, it's always you get this, that I didn't call because I didn't want him to go to jail. And in this case, these days, it her to go to jail. So we understand that. But that is the reactive um, way to go. Tell us what to do to be proactive and where people can call in order to seek out help, even in the, in the beginning stages. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, you're you're one hundred percent correct that the you know, people just think, well, just call just call the police. Just call the police. Like the police are gonna fix everything, right? And um and that's not a safe option for a lot of people. And and I think it's taken a very long time for folks to, to realize that, you know. Um and that's not that you should never call, of course, but that we can't pretend that that's gonna fix domestic violence. That is that they're inherently there, like you said, for the criminal justice response to something that has already occurred, right? Um, so one of the biggest things that we encourage folks to do uh, is to talk to their kids about healthy relationships because, you know, you think that it's too early and you think that it's, that your kid is too young to, 
to be talking about, you know, relationships and boyfriends and girlfriends and seeing people, um, but they're not. And there is, <laughs> I, I guarantee if you think they're too young, they're not, because if they're not going to hear it from you, they're going to hear it from somebody else. And you want to make sure that you are shaping the message to your children about respect, about boundaries, about, you know, not only not accepting abusive behavior, but not being abusive, right? Um, so we need to be talking to our to our boys and our girls alike about how to how to have a relationship with another person that is based on mutual respect, on trust, um, on love and caring, not on ownership, not on jealousy, not on possession, um, and and just kind of shift the way that we talk about relationships. Right. And then the you know that that's that's really where it needs to start as far as preventing it before it ever occurs. Um, but then, you know, once somebody is in a relationship and a lot of times from the outside of the relationship, it's very clear to everybody who's not in it that that relationship is toxic and abusive, right? So a lot of times we can tell, but they can't because they're in the middle of it. Or they might understand that it's abusive, but they can't figure out a way out yet, right? Um, and so a lot of times that's the point where we can really intervene and make sure that the victim stays safe and that it doesn't escalate any further. Um, so the most important thing that we encourage folks to do is just to be available and to, to listen when your friend wants to talk, even if it's a friend that, um, that you've been isolated from or who's been isolated from you, right? So let's say you used to have a really good friend and then she got with this guy and <laughs> Uh, and since they, <laughs> right, right. Since right. they've been together, then y'all haven't really been friends anymore because he's not a fan of you and you're not a fan of him, right? Like that, a lot of times that's the dynamic. But I would encourage you, even if that's your situation, to be available when that friend calls you after a couple of years and it's been a while since you've talked. Right. To to provide that listening ear to be understanding, to believe her when she says that she's concerned or that she, you know, he's acting weird. Cause a lot of times they won't say he's abusing me. Cause that's right. not the, that's not the way we talk. Right. Um, say so say. Right. Right. Um, they'll say, Oh, well, we argue or we fight or, you know, he, he gets, he gets weird about things or he gets mad about this or that. So they're using different language, but you've got to understand that if they're expressing a concern about their relationship, that you need to listen and believe them when they do that. And then if you're concerned about the dynamics that you're seeing in their relationship, um, you can express concern to them as well. Now, what you don't want to do is give them the ultimatum, right? Say you can either, he's no good for you. Right. 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 You can either leave him or I don't want to deal with you with, with this anymore. Cause you keep coming to me with your relationship drama. I've told you to leave him. You, you know, you clearly are choosing this path for yourself, so that's it, right? You don't want to do that because all that's doing isolation. is furthering the isolation. Right. Yep, that's all that does. So you want to make sure that you express your concern, provide her with resources, right? Give the victim that, um, that hotline number, um, give them the number to a local organization you know, that can provide them with some help, um, and express that, you know, what you're seeing makes you concerned for their safety and just let them know that they can reach out to you and then they're not going to be ready to leave right then and it might not be safe to leave right then right and you need to be the patient one you right. need to be the one that's always there no matter what and that helps them build those relationships and when it, when she's ready and when it's safe then you can help her you know 
get out of that relationship. So, you know, I have another final question before you tell people how they can get in contact with you. I believe that your services are underutilized. Tell me what groups and organizations that you would like to, I guess, um, provide more information for or who probably should build a relationship with your organization to offer that prevention and to teach. Who are some of those groups who might be able to use your services? Yeah, so we would love to have more awareness among professionals um, of our services because a lot of times um, victims are not coming directly to the domestic violence organizations because they don't identify as a domestic violence victim, right? right. They don't think that what they're experiencing is abuse. Um, but a lot of times they'll talk to their doctors or nurses, um, the healthcare providers. Uh, and, and if those healthcare providers are aware, then they can make the referral and they right. can make that connection. And the same thing with counselors. A lot of times the place, you know, the, when people are experiencing this, one of the first things they'll try to do is fix the relationship. And so they'll go, they'll go to couples therapy or marriage counseling, right, and those types of things. And, um, and, and so if those behavioral and mental health providers are aware of our services as well, then they can say, you know, what you actually need, what's actually going on here is not just marital trouble. This is right. abusive behavior and, and I'm concerned for your safety and here's some resources, right? right? So just having those connections from the other various systems that victims are interacting with in their daily life. Right. You know, I really appreciate you being here again, I must say, and tell us um, if anyone, group, organization, whomever wanted to get in contact with you for more information, who, what, how would they get in contact with um, your organization? Yes. So we are, again, Louisiana Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Our website is lcadv.org. Um, the statewide hotline number, again, for victims of domestic abuse is 1-888-411-1333. And then you're, um, anybody is welcome to email the uh, LCADB directly. That it's a very easy email, info at lcadb.org to get in touch with us. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day. I know that you have your work cut out for you. So I just want to say thanks again to the executive director of the Louisiana Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and I hope that this information was helpful. This is Behavioral Health and Wellness. I'm Dr. J. It is a wet wellness Wednesday, and we are bracing, hoping for the best with Tropical Storm Zeta. But in the meantime, in between time, until next time, be well. Thank you.